0: Well, this morning, um, as we uh, jump in, um, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3, uh, but we will also be over into the book of Philemon a little bit. I'll explain how we get there in just a second, but if you're visiting with us today, let me just say um, we're thankful that you're here. Uh, my name is Joel, and for those who are looking online, um, uh, pastor of community here, we, are, uh, we exist for um, really couple reasons, but predominantly uh, existing to develop sacrificial and authentic followers of Christ to intentionally make him known. And um, we've lived by that for the last four, it'll be five years in September, which is going to be crazy to think about. Uh, We're going to turn five this September. And uh, along the way, God has just been moving and working. And so this morning, before we jump into the text, uh, when we talk about what God's doing um, in the text, I think it's also important to recognize what he's doing outside of the text. And so this morning, um, I had the opportunity between services to talk with a guy in the back by the name of Tennessee, uh, a friend of David's. And uh, this morning, just so you know, we were talking, and uh, there was a conversation about what God is doing in his life and what God was taking out of his life. And I said, well, it sounds like there may be a a need to just acknowledge that, you know, Christ is the only thing that that matters, and he's the only one that changes identity. And is there anything that would... uh, Stop me from doing that? And uh, the answer was no. And so this morning, Tennessee accepted Christ for the first time right out there on the front porch, which is awesome. So... As we talk about the text today, it's going to make a lot more sense of uh, this idea of somebody becoming a brother for us and not just an acquaintance to us. And so God's moving. And uh, we are excited to see that, even in the midst of this epidemic thing, of whatever you want to call it, God cannot, will not be stopped. And there is a thing that is uh, true in Scripture that is true. Today, again and again and again, that God is on the move and God is going to do as he's going to do, not as we want uh, or think he's going to do. So that's going to be awesome this morning as we talk about that. But uh, there are going to be two baptisms next week instead of one, which is awesome. So we talk about that next week out there and you'll hear more of his testimony then. But this morning, here's the thing. If you get nothing else out of this morning, here's the big deal. Love equals obedience. And love equals obedience because we have a master who is good. Somebody who is running the shots, calling the shots is good, and therefore love will always equal obedience. And here's a couple of things I want to get out right at the get-go because this passage is probably the most controversial for where we are right now. Uh, and I didn't pick it, but this is what happens when you go through a book of the Bible together. Or this stuff just comes up, so you've got to preach through them. But here's a couple things. Submission is not superiority, nor is it ultimately just subjection. Submission is not just superiority over somebody who is subjection. Submission is not just the idea of oppression that gets talked about so much today. Submission is obedience, and when it's under Christ— we will see it is the best place to be because if we love him, we will obey him. To say it another way, simply as we say it again, love equals obedience because we have a good master. And so let's just jump into the text. Let me give you the flow this morning of what's going to happen. And uh, we'll continue on from there. So the flow is going to be, we're going to look at chapter three. I'm going to make a couple highlights and some things that stood out in chapter three. And then we're going to look at a case study And then after we look at the case study from the Bible, we're going to have some application points. Make sense? So chapter three, a couple points, case study. Application at the end, and the case study is actually going to be coming from the book of Philemon and uh, When I was first starting this series, I thought you know what i 'm going to grab a journal and Bible thing, and so if you 've seen these around they 're awesome they 're um, books of the Bible, um, and they are just particular for that book and then there 's like a journal to write in, and you can highlight and circle and do all the things you need to do and uh, the, It was interesting I picked this one up and i 'm like Colossians and philemon i 'm like are they just trying to like make money are they trying to save money because like, are they trying to combine two books? You're going to see this morning why the book of Philemon is so crucial to the book of Colossians. And uh, hopefully we'll see that together as we journey through this morning. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verses 18 to 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents said, Amen. Uh, Give us the old-fashioned Old Testament days where we could throw rocks at them and kill them. Um, That's a whole other sermon. Fathers, do not—and then they get to this verse. As I just say that, fathers, do not provoke your children. (laughs) Sorry. Lest they become discouraged. That happens in my house often. Dad, we're discouraged because you keep poking at us. But it's so fun. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, let's just kind of unpack a couple of these pieces. There's three different groups of people that he says are to obey or to come under authority, okay? He says wives, he says children, and then he says bond servants. And each of these, we would look at and we say, wow, this is so oppressive. That's why the church, I don't go to it because you're so oppressive and you're just so man-centered and all this kind of thing. But, but here's the deal. When he says that these are categories in submission, he gives each of these, wives, children, bond servants, in a caveat that he does not give to the husbands. So let me just kind of unpack this. He says in 18 to 22, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So if you were to look at it, you would say, okay, these are the three categories. And then he would say in each of these three categories, yes, there is a authority over you. But at the same time, you serve a larger authority. He says, is fitting in the Lord for for the wives as pleases the Lord and as fears the Lord. And so all of these he's putting... Underneath the heading of, there is another one who you are to obey outside of just who you see on a regular basis. Wives fitting to the Lord, children pleasing to the Lord, bondservants fearing the Lord. And then he gives this statement in chapter three husbands love, to which everybody in the church says, uh, What gives? Like wives, bondservants, children, where they, they seem like they get the harsher treatment, and guys, all they have to do, the husbands, is just love. Like, what does that mean? Do the husbands just have to love? So, let's, let's talk about that. Keeping in context. So whenever you look at a passage in scripture, don't just rip verses out of context, keep them in context. And so if we keep this verse in context of its chapter, chapter three, we see that the word love is actually defined. So you could read Colossians three, husband's love. You could read it this way. Husband's love put on then, verses 12 to 14, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved that's your identity, that's who you are as husbands, wives, children, servants. He says, that's who you are. Put on then compassionate hearts. Husbands, how you doing on compassionate hearts? He says, husbands, love with kindness. How are you doing with kindness? Ask your kids. Humility. Husbands, love in humility. Be humble, not always trying to be right, but be humble. Be meek. He says, put on meekness, which is power under control, and to which many of us would say, if many people would treat us that way, I would love to listen to what they have to say, but oftentimes it's just a power struggle. He says, put on meekness, put on patience. Husbands, how you doing this week with patience? How you doing loving your family with patience? You want the real answer? Ask your kids. They'll tell you, uh, and your wife, they'll tell you, uh, mm, this week, I don't know, maybe good, maybe bad, no, no. Okay, good. All right, go. I don't know what that meant. Um, Good. So, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So, husbands, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these, he says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, this word love is actually jam packed with all of verses 12 to 14. So, if husbands you are to lead, lead this way and lead in a way that you love as Christ. And he says in verse 4 1 Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also may ha- have a master in heaven. This was in the context and culture of which they lived. And the head of the household was the man. And that just kind of trickled down into every part. And so he says in the masters, realize you have a master in heaven. And then he wraps all of these up. And this is a really quick run through of three because I want to get to the case study. But but he says all of this, if it is truly loving, wives, children, bond servants, husbands, employees, employers, uh, masters, servants, all of this, gets wrapped up in verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Key bullet point he gives you as he ends this, you are serving the Lord Christ. To to make this even more emphatic, you need to understand that this word Lord in the original Greek actually has the meaning of master, superiority, authority. That's what the word Lord is used here. And it's the first time Paul uses the word Lord instead of God, instead of Jesus Christ. He uses this term for God on purpose in this passage to remind you, to remind me, to remind the church at Colossae, you serve a master who is not of this world and he is good. The word master is supreme in authority, And here's the reality. He says this because obedience, if we're truly honest, obedience does not always equal love, but love will always equal obedience. Obedience does not equal love, right? You can obey and not love somebody all the time. You do it at work all the time. You obey because you need the paycheck. You obey because they're in control of your life. You obey because if you don't, there's a consequence. That's not necessarily love. But if you truly love, you will become obedient. That's not my words. That's the words of Jesus out of John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because obedience without love is shallow activism and legalism. And Jesus, I believe, came to destroy both. I will not allow my, I will not allow a relationship with me to turn into legalism or shallow activism. I will, I will do it in a way that proves and works out and shows love. Now, that's a very quick recap of three. I want to give you a case study that would have been very, very just obvious to the people who were receiving this letter in the context of the church at Colossae when this was read to the church now, a couple of things you need to understand. One, Colossae was a small town, so we have that in common. Uh, it was a wool producing town, and you're kind of like, cool. I needed to know that about this word. Uh, It was a wool producing town. I say that not because of like, you need to know that it's wool, but to know that it was kind of a blue collar factory kind of place where it was surrounded by cities that were not. And this was kind of a rural small church area, Colossae. And this church was planted not by Paul, but we believe by a guy by the name of Epaphras, who we believe Epaphras got saved through Paul when he was working through Ephesus. Okay, so Paul has a mission trip to Ephesus. We believe that Epaphras was part of hearing Paul during that time. He gets saved. And so Epaphras starts this church. And as he starts this church in this small town, there is a guy by the name of Philemon who was a wealthy man in that small town. We don't know what he did, but he was wealthy. And he had servants and he became part of this church. He gets saved while he is there. And he becomes a leader in the church. And many believed that Philemon was actually a house church leader. So in that time, basically they wouldn't gather together in a room like this. They would be gathered in homes and they'd be spread out throughout this little area. And every home would have a pastor in that home. And Philemon, they believe, was one of those pastors. Well, Philemon was a wealthy man and he owned a slave and the slave's name was Onesimus. And this, this this guy who was under the control of Philemon, somewhere along the story, Onesimus steals from Philemon and runs away. He's like, I've had it. I'm done. I can't do this. And we don't know the whole context, but at some way he, he slighted Philemon and he leaves and he runs and he runs away to Paul. And you're kind of like, why would he run to Paul? Well, Paul must have had enough influence in that church and in that town that he knew if I go to Paul, things will make sense and I'm just going to run away and he runs away to Paul. Now, Onesimus stays with Paul and he gets saved and he turns his life over to Christ with Paul as he has fled from Philemon. Again, small town. This would have been known throughout the church. They would have known this guy ran away and took something from him. And they would have known that he's hanging out with Paul. How awkward would it be for the pastor of that church, Epaphras, to be have to go to Paul? We don't know the timeline, but if he went to Paul, and what if Onesimus was with Paul? And that, that would have been weird. And you know, do we, do we drag him back? Do we, do we enforce the law? Do we, what do we do with him? And, and so it was just a weird place to be. But here we know that he is saved. And Paul and Onesimus get really close. But Paul knows that the right thing to do is for Onesimus to to go back and make things right. Not because of Roman law, not because of Philemon, not because of the church of Colossae, but because he is under Christ's rule now. He says basically, Onesimus, you got saved, so you're under a new guidelines. Now it is the time to listen and and to obey what Christ has asked you to obey, because ultimately love equals obedience. Now, Let me give you a real case scenario. When we first started this church, it was probably the first year, I think it was a year and a half in, and I'm not going to use names, but I was in a conversation with somebody who had come to church a couple times, and he asked me to go out to breakfast, and he had some anger issues, and he wanted to talk through these anger issues with me. And uh, we're talking, and we're probably midway through the hash browns, and he says, uh, hey, by the way, I probably should tell you, I've got a warrant out for my arrest in the city of Akron. And I'm like, good to know. And so we, we talked through it. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, I just, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's this, it's this, it's this. And uh, I said, you know what? Um, you, you have a relationship with Christ, right? Yep, fully believe in him, submitted my life to him. Here's my story, God's testimony. I said, well, you know what you need to do then, right? What? You need to turn yourself in. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This would be Onesimus. Are you kidding me? I got to go back? I'm not going to go back. I'm free. I'm out of this. I'm not going to go back conversation ends. I didn't think anything else was going to come. I just kind of said, I'm going to keep reminding him this is the right thing to do. A week or two goes by, I get a phone call. Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you, can you drive me somewhere? Sure. I'll drive you wherever you need to go. Can you drive me up to the police station and I'm going to turn myself in? Are you kidding me? Sure. First time, maybe last time I've ever had a call and driven somebody there and we went in, went through the beepy thingy and, uh, said our goodbyes, prayed with him, and God worked. The judge was uh, amazing in the case, heard the case, understood the case, worked through it. He ended up doing what he needed to do, and ultimately he was free. And I remember seeing him like two weeks after. He goes, you're not going to believe how it went. You're not going to believe what God did. I followed him in obedience, and here's how he blessed it, and here's how he worked, and it was amazing, and here's what happened. And I just said, isn't that really cool that you obeyed, and God actually did what he said he was going to do. He came through. And even if it didn't work out the way you wanted it to, you trusted and obeyed, and it was the right thing to do. And I'm telling you, he goes, I feel free. He goes, I don't have to worry about police anymore. I don't have to worry about hiding and moving from city to city anymore just to evade this thing. I can, I can be free and I'm, I'm clear and, and God's changed me. And I think this is what Onesimus would have been facing. He's like, I, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back into slavery. I don't want to go back there. He says, I want to be free. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. And in this story, there was not only the pastor of Epaphras who would have to navigate this with his church, there was Philemon who was now a leader in the church, there was Onesimus who stole but was still a slave, there was Paul who possibly in all likelihood never met Philemon, never met the church at Colossae, and he's writing a letter to a guy he's never met about an issue that he should never have any part in to a church he has no affiliation with. (laughs) How's this gonna go, Paul? And finally, we see that ultimately there's a responsibility in the church at Colossae. And as we go through this case study, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You're going to be in the book of Philemon, and I'm going to ask you to highlight, circle things that stand out to you. Okay, so this is a case study. If something kind of makes sense or a light bulb goes on, I just want you to kind of think through it in your own mind. Dwell on it this week. But this is the case study. This is the shortest, one of the shortest books we have. There's no chapter. There's just verses. So when I say Philemon 4.6, that just means... 4-6. Four six. There's no chapter. Okay, so it's just in this. So here's the story. Here's a case study, and I want you to kind of follow through with me. Here we go. Verse four through six. This is Paul again writing to Philemon. Never met him. Onesimus is with him, trying to navigate how to get Onesimus back. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul starts his letter to this guy he's never met saying, hey, we share something in common. Even if you don't realize maybe all that we share in common, we share in common that Jesus is our king. We share in common that we have a master who is over us, and his name is Jesus. And this word sharing is the same word as koinonia, and it's a partnership. It's this, we are together in this struggle called life. And you as a believer, me as a believer, we have this in common, and he leads with that. Philemon, we're brothers. Philemon, we love each other. We're brothers together. Verse 8 and 9, I love this. Accordingly, though, Accordingly though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you I Paul an old man and am now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus He says Philemon I could command you to do it but I'm going to take a different approach Here's what happens sometimes if you ever receive a letter that you're supposed to do something and it's like stated in bold letters you will do this or we will come for you right <laughs> Your typical response is what Nip, yep. Don't care because I don't need to be told what to do anymore. I'm tired of it. You can't tell me what to do. Paul comes at this with a different approach. He says, I could command you to do the right thing here, but instead in love, I'm going to appeal to you to do the right thing. What's the right thing? Here's verses 10 to 15. I love this. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Paul didn't birth Onesimus. There was no relational bond. There was simply the fact that he has accepted Christ and now he is my child in Christ whose father I became in my imprisonment. That's a close bond, right? That's a really close bond he has with this guy named Onesimus. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. What do you mean useless? That's just mean. What do you mean? That means that in his role, underneath your control as master, it was useless. But when he accepts Christ, when we are now brothers, when we have a king who is over us, he is not useless anymore because he is family. He is blood. He is relationship. He is with you. He is with me. We are all under this banner of Christ. I love those words. Child, useful to me and to you. I am sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. Oh, I'm sending a guy who I care so much about. I love this guy. This guy's got just so much going for him. I could, I could keep him here. It'd be awesome, but I'm sending him you, and I'm sending him not only you, I'm sending a piece of me with him. I'm sending you my very heart. Don't overlook these words in Philemon. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. That's an interesting term, serving on his behalf, even though he didn't know where he was and he'd run away, so work that in. I'm serving on on your behalf, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent, that's awesome, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but on your own accord. I am sending him back. And I'm asking you to free him. I'm asking you to love him as a child. And I'm asking you, not commanding you, so that you will get the blessing. So that you have something out of this. Not by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this, verse 15, for this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while. Maybe this is God's sovereignty that he left so that he may become saved, so that he may become free And so that he may return useful and not useless. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. That's huge. They had scribes who would write for Paul. And Paul says, this is important enough. I'm penning this, writing this, putting the stamp on this thing myself and sending this because this guy means that much to me. I'm writing this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. And that's kind of a fun little jab in there that says, basically, if it wasn't for me, the gospel wouldn't be presented. And so count that in there. But he says, I'm sending him back. He's my child. He's my heart. He's my everything. And whatever he's done to wrong you, charge it to my credit card. Put it on my bill. I'll pay everything. Whatever he owes you, I've got the resources. I'll make it work. And to which we ask the question in any situation that we'd probably ask here, and that is, what's the catch? <laughs> That's too good to be true, Paul. What do you mean you're going to take care of all this stuff? You're going to take care of it. What's the catch? Paul answers and tells us there's a catch. (laughs) Yes, brother, verse 20, I want some benefit from you. I knew it. I knew it. I knew nothing comes for free. I knew Paul's going to ask me for something. This is how this thing works. We're under a bad master. Jesus is not really there. What do you want from me, Paul? I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Here's what he wants. Refresh my heart in Christ. That's what I want. I want to see the story work out. I wanna see this work in a way that Jesus gets the glory for it. I wanna see this work out in a way that we are just blown away by the fact of what Jesus does because of your obedience and love for Jesus and my obedience and love for Jesus and ultimately Onesimus' love for Jesus because Onesimus is the one who's gonna have the most to suffer from in this. Onesimus has the most to lose. Onesimus has the most to to worry about and be fearful about on his journey back to this guy who he doesn't know is gonna free him or not. And Paul says, if you do this thing, here's what I want. I want refreshment of heart. And isn't it true that when you hear stories of people who have changed their life or people who have done the right thing or have loved Christ in obedience and you hear that story, isn't there something in us as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who just feel like, oh, thank you. God's still working. God's still moving. That's so encouraging to hear. It's a refreshment that comes, and that refreshment comes through joyful obedience. We are refreshed when we obey and love. And the key to refreshment through joyful obedience, here's the keys. It comes through our desires and avoiding distractions. And let me tell you, there are far more things vying for your attention and allegiance every single day to divide us as a nation, to divide us as a body of believers. There is far more now vying for your attention to divide us that are smoke screens. They simply are. They're just smoke screens. They don't matter. Because ultimately, all of it, if we could clear it all away, ultimately it comes back to sin and God's power over sin, and he is still working. And we need to hear He's still working. He's still refreshing us through these stories. And it's not a matter of having little desires. It's the fact that our desires aren't enough in Christ. Let me say it this way in Psalm 37, verse four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delighting in God leads to obedience. The more you delight in him, the more you love him, the more you're just in awe of who he is, the easier it is to obey. The more I am in love with my wife, the more I love the things that she is, the more that I'm just blown away by all of her attributes and characteristics and hotness and all that stuff, the more I am drawn to that, the easier it is to obey. Christ says, if you delight in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. Kindness, he says, brings us to repentance. And so the question we ask is, how do you view your Lord? Is he a hard master? Is is, is it true that his yoke is easy and his burdens are light? Because if his yoke is easy, then we can delight in him. John Piper says it like this in an article he wrote called Joy is Obedience. He says it like this. You can't enjoy a God that you are not sure is for you. If you have have got this niggling sense that he is against me, he is always disappointed in me, he's not going to accept me, then try to muster up delight in a God like that is going to be impossible. If you don't believe he is for you and wanting not your best, not the easiest, but wanting his glory and his renown out of your life so that you can be a refreshment to those in this room and those around your community, if you don't believe that's true, you will have a nearly impossible job in front of you of trying to obey him you just will. You can't do it because he seems like a hard taskmaster. So the questions to ask this week as we get into application as we close are these. Let me give you a couple things to think about this week as we look at this case study of Paul, Philemon, Onesimus, this church at Colossae, and then I'm going to give you one more key thing that is so amazing about this case study as we close out. A couple things. Number one, how do you view your Lord? How do you view, if that that word is true, that it is master, supreme authority in your life, how do you view him? Is he just up there calling the shots, hoping you're going to screw up and then just, you know, giving you a hard time for it? Is it a difficult burden? Is he just up there just unhappy and disappointed with you at all times? Sadly, some of us have that view that when we look to God and we think of God, we think of this face that's just looking down going like, you're never going to get it you're never going to get it. Why do I even bother with you people? I never, I don't understand. That, that's unfortunately the message we have. And ultimately, Paul, Onesimus, Philemon, Epaphras, the church of Colossae is trying to get us to rethink this and say, no, 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 no. You have a great master. You have a great authority. He is for you. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this question is, how do you view him? We could spend even a year of our life trying to change how we view Him and looking through Scripture to let us define who He is. That's the first thing. How do you view Him? And is it easy to obey Him? Number two, what does loving obedience look like in your current role? Husband, wife, friend, employee, employer. What does loving obedience look like? Knowing that you're not serving them, you're serving Christ. So if your view of your Christ is right, if your view of your master is correct, then it will flow into your other relationships. But what does a loving obedience look like in your current role? And that's going to take some time to unpack. I'm not expecting you to answer that right now. Something to think about this week. Number three, is your obedience turning into resentment? Is life gotten so hard, and many of us are there, trust me, been there, done that, know it, is obedience turning to resentment? God, I just, I'm tired of following you. I'm tired of doing the right thing. I was in youth ministry once. This girl came to me and she goes, Joel, I want to do the right thing. She was a senior. I, I just, I don't know that I want to anymore. I'm just tired of being the good girl at my house. I'm tired of being the good girl at school. I'm tired of being, Ugh, and I just feel like my, and her obedience was turning to resentment, thankfully God turned it and she didn't go and lose everything that she had built but, but ultimately she said I, I had that point where my obedience was turning into resentment and if so you gotta track that down where is it where is it why is it spend some time looking through that and then lastly number four where is your obedience absent of love let me say it another way where is your obedience absent of joy with your relationship with Christ do you do it because you have to I come to church because if I don't, then the numbers will be down and they're gonna get discouraged. So I guess we gotta make it to church. Come on, let's go to church. Everybody in the band, let's go, let's go. Or do you do it because you love those here and there's an obedience that comes with love and not out of duty to do these things? Because ultimately, the Bible says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died, this is the gospel, that one has died for all therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him and for their sake died and was raised. Love controls us. Love compels us. Love equals obedience. And if we have the wrong motive for obedience, it's probably because you have the wrong view of your master. And I want us to think through what does that look like to have the right heart? Now, As we close, let me just kind of end with some encouragement out of love equals obedience and that Christ works when we are obedient. Do you remember when we started the book of Colossians? These are, again, this is real life. These were house churches. They were spread out. Do you remember who delivered the letter to the church at Colossae? There was two guys, and they were sent to deliver this letter and they were responsible for reading this letter to the small church in Colossae in their house churches. So they would almost go house church to house church to house church to house church. Colossians chapter four, verse, nine, verse eight and nine. This is awesome. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. First off, he talks about Tycheus. That's one of the guys. Verse nine, and with him, is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. The one who is free, Philemon, it tells us in scripture, followed through and he did the right thing. And now Onesimus is free, and Onesimus is reading the letter of authority from Paul to the church. Onesimus has turned into pastor leader. Can you imagine? He's free, obedience worked. And he's here. Can you imagine Onesimus reading from his past, knowing his story, reading to you, the church at Colossae, these words? He says, to this church, reading out of verse 3, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as it for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Does it matter who's reading the letter? Yes. Yes. He's free. He is one of you. He is my beloved child. And because he was obedient, because he went back to Philemon, because Philemon was obedient, and because Epaphras, as the pastor, didn't mess it up (laughs) by being weirded out by this whole controversy, God worked. I love that. Onesimus, new hero, comes back, reads these words of Paul, and says, hey, love Equals obedience. Let me pray. God, we thank you this morning that your word is true. We thank you so much for what you do in, st- in, in lives around here. We thank you so much for what you did this morning. God, that you've taken someone from darkness into your glorious, majestic light. God, that you have said you are free. That as you become obedient to Christ, it is a joyful obedience, it is one done in love and not out of obligation. God, you are still working. You are still in control. Forgive me, forgive us for thinking opposite. You are in control. And God, we turn to you and say, we wanna love you because you are easy to love. We obey you because you're easy to obey. God, we thank you for the opportunity. May we live it out in our week to listen and obey because you are good. Here we pray. Amen. As we close this morning, I, I wanted this song because it's just such, such a statement of anthem that talks about the Israelites in the desert and how they were kind of wandering. And, and eventually they started to wonder, is God still with us? Is he still faithful? And I think we can be in that place often. Is God still with us? Is he still faithful? This song is that anthem for us. It's an anthem even for me as we've started this church of God's faithfulness to us as a body. And it says, even in the desert, even in the silence, he is working And here's what the bridge is, and I want this to be our anthem this morning, that we will not move if he doesn't go ahead of us. We will not do a thing unless he is in it. And unless God moves, we don't want a part of it. And so we pray God would move in this community and in this time to continue to draw people to himself. And we pray that we'd celebrate that together as a body this morning. So would you stand with us as Rich leads us out?